today's daf is daf Lamedadalad. Um, today's shir is Leilunishmas Etol Basarav Yisrael Meir. Neshama have an Aliyah and may memory be a blessing. And it's also for a first time of Malka Basrivka. May she have a complete and speedy recovery. Okay, we're going to go from the we'll go from the bottom of Lamed Gimel Amud Beis 33b about the 12th last line. Tenth last line. So Tonar Abana, and we learned Teresa. We're going back to discuss. Once we were discussing, remember the stones that they set up, or for the curses of Hayvizim and Harivel. We're now going to discuss um, the crossing of the Jordan. So Tonar Abana, case that Abri Yisrael is How did Bnei Yisrael cross the Jordan? So he says, Generally, the Aaron was traveled behind two campments. I remember when Israel were sl- split into four groups, and I mean there's actually a discussion how they traveled, but here this opinion holds normally there were two groups going in front and then the Arab, almost as a sort of forward guard um, thing, the guard of honor. The Arab traveled in the middle of the campments. And then, but today have traveled in the French. And Emma, as the apostle says, the Aaron of covenant of the master of the whole world, went before them. And now the difference, on all other days, the Nisim would carry the Aaron. The, the Levim would carry the Aaron, and today it was the Kohanim. Shenemar is the post-success. As the souls of the Kohanim rested, Noisei Aaron Hashem were carrying the Ark of Hashem. So we see that it was the Kohanim carrying the Ark of Hashem. There's a, there's a discussion, I think it's my focus from Man and Rambam. What was, we know in the desert, the Levim carried the Aaron. And now we bring that on this day, the Kohanim carried the Aaron. And Rabbi Yoisi Oimer, Rabbi Tanya, we learned in the Bryce, Rabbi Yoisi Oimer, Rabbi Yoisi says, On three occasions the Kohanim carried the Aaron, when they crossed the Jordan, when they encircled Yericho, and when they put it, when they returned it to its place, when they took it to the Beis Hamidash. Um, we're going to start at the top of Lamedal now. So the question is, so the Ramban says, we see from here the norm, and whenever the Aaron's being transported, it should be carried by the Levine. However, there were three exceptions when the Kahanim would carry it. The Rambam learns, no, the exception was the carrying it in the desert. He says there were a few Kahanim, a lot to do, so they, the Levine carried the Aaron. But the norm when the Aaron was being transported was for the Kohanim to travel, to carry it. Okay, but that's interesting. My thought is, what's the norm in how to transport the Aaron? Okay, now we're going to carry on with the story. As soon as the feet of the Kohanim dipped, as soon as their toes dipped into the water of the Jordan, the water retreated from before them. Like a miracle, you can imagine, like something that repels water, touches the water and pushes it away. That's what it looked like. Um, as the apostle when the carriers of the Aaron reached the Jordan or came up to the Jordan and the water which was coming down it's a river so it flows down it stood in a single pillar 
Uh, so what happened is the water retreated in front of them, so basically pushing away and making an opening. Obviously the water on the going downstream could carry on flowing downstream. The issue is the water that was flowing from upstream had just piled up and started making a pillar. How high did the water reach? We have a gear 12 mil by 12 mil. Um, interestingly enough, some take out this 12 mil because we're interested in the heart, not the width of this column of water. I'll discuss the heart shortly. And what's that? That's corresponding to the camp of Israel. We know that when the Jews camped, they camped, they took up an area of 12 mil by 12 mil. And Divre Rebuda, that's the opinion of Rebuda, Omolo Rebeleze, Rebbe Shimon. Did Vorech or Rebbe Shimon said, according to your words, Adam Kal or Maim Kalim? Who's faster? People or water? Havoimer Maim Kalim. Obviously, water is faster than people. In Cain, boy in Maim, Vashoitvin or Son, water come, the water would come and sweep them away. Why would it sweep them away? Because if you can imagine, if this pillar reached... The calculation, I was going to say this a bit later, but let's just say... The calculation is based on, which is quite an interesting way of looking at it, because it just doesn't line up for various reasons, is that if you take from one person to the end of the camp, it takes 12 mil. So if we're going to let them cross the ocean like that, it's going to take the time it takes to move 12 mil. And that's the time that those 12 mil are the time the water's piling up into a pile. So you get 12 mil. I mean, it's difficult because they stopped in the middle for a Joshua bar or a, for, a, for a statement by Yahushua. You know, does it really take... Remember, the last person had to travel 12 mil to get up to the water. And then he had to cross the water, so that already should be a bit more than 12. So how this calculation, but that's what the calculation is based on, how long it would take the whole of a 12 mil camp of an Israel to travel for the water to pile up. So he says to him, so now what happens when it's reached 12 mil and the water is carrying on flowing? So what's it going to come and fall over the top of the wall or come around and flood them? Maybe that's why he said 12 mil, by 12 mil it, it, it spread sideways as well. Maybe. Maybe backwards towards upstream. Well, if we don't see that it's not upstream, that's the... It might have been 12 more high and 12 more upstream. Oh, you're saying piling up? Yeah, yeah. maybe, but... Um, okay, yeah, it's still difficult how this calculation would, would line up, if not miraculous. And then he says, so Rebbe, Omar Rebbe Lezer, Rebbe Shimon, it's Varech, Adam, so he says, but what's faster? So he says, what happened is the water continued to pile up wave upon wave. More than 300 mil tall until all the kings of the east and the west, all the kings in around in the whole of uh, the whole of the Middle East could see could see this. Um, Interesting, when we find the word 300, I think it's from Baba Basra, they pointed out in the Gemara Baba Basra, points out when it says 300, it's an exaggeration, but however, the water just carried on piling up to a miraculous height. Um, Sam's here bring here went all the way into the clouds. Um, as the Pasuk says, as the Pasuk says, when the, all the kings of the Emori who were across the Jordan heard, 
Yom, sorry, yeah, across the Jordan to the west, heard, and all the Canaanite kings who were by the ocean, I think that's the Mediterranean, that Hashem dried up the Jordan, from before Bnei Israel, Ad Avram until Bnei Israel crossed. Their hearts melted and they had no spirit to stand up. No, uh, no energy to stand up, uh, no courage to stand up before Bnei Yisrael. And we see that Rochav Azoina said this to Yeshua. Now we're going to, we'll have to discuss why this is here, but remember this was before they crossed the Jordan. So this was before it piled up. But it says, We heard that Hashem dried up the Yamsuf. Our hearts melted and we could no longer have the will to stand up before the Jews. Um, so firstly, we're trying to bring a proof that all the kings of Eretz Yisrael saw this miracle. What does the Apostle say? By Yishma. And they heard. Secondly, how's Rachav the proof? So the one explanation is that we know by the sea, not only was it the Yamsuf that split, it was all the water throughout the world split. If a person was having a glass of water, the water in his glass split. So that's what Vayishma by the Yamsuf means that they saw the miracle. And Vayishma by the... Therefore the Vayishma by the Yardain means they saw the Jordan split. So the... Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just sit a bit more back like this. Um, and then... Um, Another possibility is one, that it, almost it's logical. Mayishma, as we said from the word Shema, is more than just they heard about it. Also, if they just heard about it, if I came and I told you, you won't believe what happened, that I was crossing the Jordan and it split, it wouldn't make such an impression on you. You'd be, wow, that's amazing. But if you saw it, or you saw this pillar of water, hundreds of meal high, then it would make a deep impression on you that you would hesitate that you lose all the courage to go to war with this nation that caused us. Okay, so that's the crossing of the Jordan. Oh, then we're going to come back to it. Um, Rachava. Rachav. Rachav. She, uh, we had it, she, she, she told Joshua after she... No, just before they were going to cross the Jordan, um, Pinchas and Kale went in as spies to Yericho yeah. and they spoke to Rachav. So whole story not, there. Story and she said, well, we all, don't, don't worry. There's not much courage in this land. We no all saw thing. the pillar. No, not the pillar. We saw the Ryamsuf. Right. Read the Posuk, it's Ryamsuf. Because right. this is before they crossed the Jordan. It's right. before there was the pillar. Um, but I, I, that's why I think it's brought here to say Vanishma Vanishma means that they had a real realization they actually saw it. Okay. Even though it uses the word that they heard about it. And it says, While they were still in the Jordan, Yahushua said to them, Know the condition that you crossing the Jordan. On condition that you drive out the inhabitants of the land. If you do this, well done. Then it will be good for you. And if not, the water will come and flood you away. So they, they cross in the Jordan on this condition. That day, that they wipe out the lands. And if they don't, they're going to be in trouble. And 
This is in the middle of the Jordan. My Oisichem. What's this word Oisichem? Oisichem, even me and you. I, we're all going to be destroyed, even the ones who do want to do it, unless the whole of B'nai Yisrael um, take, take responsibility. I'll come back to that point of take responsibility and wipe out the other nations. Um, while they were still in the Jordan, Yoshua said to them, Ish Eben Achas al He said to you, there were twelve men from one from each tribe designated. He said to you, the men, each of you take a stone on your shoulders. The Mispar Shifta Israel according to the tribe, the number of tribes of Israel. The Mantiye as the Posik says, that this will be a sign in your midst. Ki Ish Alun Ben When your sons ask you in the future, Laymor say. What are these stones? So Simon Lebonim Sheovra Amos says Yarden. It's a Simon for the for the for the children in the future, the descendants in the future that their fathers crossed the Jordan. Now remember yesterday we learned about okay. Remember yesterday that we brought that day. We'll just listen to this because it will be important for. Yesterday, you can start walking. Um, yesterday, we brought the, that there were stones that they took to Har Grizim and Har Evel to make a Mizbah. Here, we learned about these. Now, we're learning about stones that they piled up by, we're going to see right by the Kohanim where they entered the Jordan. And this is as a memorial that they crossed the Jordan. So, we've got two sets of stones. And tomorrow, and here's tomorrow, we're going to see a third set of stones. Quite tricky in the psukim when you're trying to work out which stones are we talking about, which set is there, multiple sets. But from Alcamora, it's going to seem that there are three sets. Okay, so that is yesterday, today, and you'll see the third set tomorrow. So, and yesterday we discussed, we start off the discussion with the stones that they took to Hagrizim and Arabel. Now we're discussing the stones that they set up as a memorial by the where they crossed the Jordan. <coughs> We'll see. Take for yourself from by where the Kohanim are standing. Set up these 12 stones and take them with you. And we will set them up in the Malon, in the where we're staying on that night. It says, Are they going to set up stones in every single, or are they going to take these stones up with them and send them, set them up in every place where they Malon, where they stay overnight? In the place where we stay that night. Uh, we're not discussing. They were not going to move this memorial with them. They're going to leave it. This might be the second set of stones, the ones that they take with them. One they set up in the Jordan, and one they take with them to set up in their first place they camp when they cross into Eretz Yisrael. Omer Yehuda, Abba Chalafta, Verebileze ben Masia, Chananya ben Chakinai. You, Rabbi Yehuda said, My father, Chalat, and Rabbi Lozab ben Masia, and Chananya ben Chakinai, stood by those stones, Vishurum called Achas ba Achas, Shekulam ka'arbaseya, and they measured that each of them weighed as much as 40 sayah, or the size of 40 sayah. What's 40 sayah? 
So you know that's the minimum size of a mikvah. Remember correctly, it's like three amas high and an amma by amma. So these stones, I, I don't know if we're saying a volume or a weight, but these stones were massive. You can imagine uh, something like, I mean, uh, like that size, um, a meter and a half high by a meter and a meter, is uh, that's water filling up what you so it's very, very heavy. The Gemiri, and we have a tradition, now we're going to bring in the spies, which is going to trigger a long discussion of the 12 spies. The Gemiri, we have a tradition, the weight a person can handle on his shoulders is three times what he's able to pick up. I, if you, if I would come and put a load on you, or you would have help picking something onto your back, onto your shoulders to carry it, you could carry three times what you'd be able to pick up by yourself and put it on your back. So these stones that weighed 40 saya, they, because that's as big as they could pick up and put on their shoulders. We see in those days that they were very, very strong, and that's their, how much they could pick up. Which means if they were doing it with the help of someone, they could actually get stones, carry something, the size of the weight of 40 sail, 120 sail, three times that. So, and from here we can calculate the size of the bunch of grapes that the spas carried. Chenemar, as it says, they carried it on a pole by two of them. From the fact that it says they carried it on a, on a pole, do I not know that there were two people? How's one person going to carry a bunch of grapes on the pole? It must mean that you had two people carrying the pole and the grapes are hanging on the pole between them. So why does it say by two people? So he says, no. What's the Torah coming to teach us that on a pole? With two, so he says, with two poles. And Yitzchak says, not only that, not only were the two people carrying the pole, it's not, not only were there two poles being carried, i.e., four people carrying this bunch of grapes, there was a load under carrying the load. So that's another two poles with four people. So we have eight people carrying the the grapes and what how, what strengthens this way of learning is okay, it's not how it works. Twelve people carried the bunch of grapes and one carried a pomegranate and one carried a fig. So we have ten. The ten spars. It says, Oh, what about Yeshua the Kalam no Nosu? Klum. Yeshua and Kaleb didn't carry anything. Why? Um Yeshum the the e boys One possibility is they were choshev, they were dignitaries, and it's not appropriate for dignitaries to uh, schlep uh, loads on their back. Were they all dignitaries? So I was wondering about that. Maybe they, uh, maybe they were specifically appointed, or had some more self-respect. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Or maybe they were, they were. Uh, some people, they, maybe they were from more of the noble families and the other tribes were just appointed as the heads, I don't know, for their goodness, for their greatness, but I'm not sure. They didn't get involved in the trial trial with the, those ten spas who were, the whole purpose they were doing it is for an evil plan. Yeah. Remember that we're going to see a few Gomorrahs now, we're going to go into the spas. Um, we're going to get back to the spas because of this. 
But they, from the outset, their plans were evil. And Yeshua and Kalev realized that they're not bringing these grapes back to show the bounty of the produce, these fruit, this fruit back to show the bounty of Eretz Israel. They're bringing it back to show that it's a land that's too big and made for giants, too big for them. So they didn't want to be involved in that, and therefore they refused to carry. Interestingly enough, it seems, it's a, uh, it seems by the story where they were actually relaying the information to Ben Israel, they wanted to kill Kalev when he stood up against them and tried to argue with them. So I'm not sure how they managed to get out of it. Similar to yeah, I'm not sure how they managed to get out of carrying the, the grapes. Um, yeah. But again, what, what's, why is the Gomorrah bringing this? Because we said that a person picking something up by himself in those times this could put a potty say on his back. Here we see there were eight, but if he's doing it with the help of someone, he can put 120 say on his back. So now we have eight people carrying this bunch of grapes. It needed eight people to carry the bunch of grapes. And they were picking it up together, so they had help. Must have been it was about nine sixty say. As I said, I'm not sure if that's the volume or the weight of water or how exact, but it's a huge amount. That these grapes, the, the grapes required a huge, a huge, uh, were were enormous, and then, and that's what it required. I'm saying if you've got four poles, yeah. there's a machlokes Raja tells us exactly how the poles were structured. And if you've got four poles, you can make kind of like a base and put the, yeah, you can make a base and balance the grapes on top. So that or not. But yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too surprised if it was an exaggeration. Um, so back to crossing in the Jordan, there were two points I wanted to do. There was a, an important point I wanted to mention. Um, uh, one side point is we see, and this is always important to remember whenever we see this, Rabbi Yehuda says, My father Chalachta. I love to say your father's name. So many learn that if you add a title, then it's fine too. So I can say my father so and so, as long as I attribute a title and show the respect, but to just go and call him by his first name, that would be disrespectful. That's a side point. But the important point of this, Kevin, I was waiting for you. If you look at the second top toise, while they were still in the Jordan, Yahushua said to them, Yerushalmi, from the Yerushalmi, this is Toysus quoting Yishami. They accepted upon themselves matters that were hidden. What's that referring to? Um, that, or let's see, it says, Omar lohem Yoshuaim aimatem akablim es anistoros, hamayim boim vashoitim eschem. If you don't accept the nistiros, the water will come and flood you. And Omar. Yeah, before we get on to the proof, the Nistores is responsibility for other Jews. I, I can't tell exactly what you're going to get up and what you do, but all Jews are responsible for each other. And that's in the Jordan, that's what they, I think that's what's alluded to by this word. I see, excuse me, I see them, you and, you and me, we're accepting, Yoshua says, you're standing in the Jordan now, I want you to take and accept upon yourself responsibility for other Jews. So all Jews are now responsible for each other. And Rabbi Simon is going to bring a proof of this. Omar Rabbi Simon, Rabbi Zvid, V'yeos teida lecho. It's clear and it's a proof for you. Sheharei, shehukein, sheharei ochon chot v'rubam shel sanhedrin noflu ba'ai. 
Achan sinned and the most of the Sanhedrin died in the city of Ai. And Omar Ibn Leibi says in Yavne they might have been permitted from this because the Apostle says, Ainam Asek and Nistores, the Basel came out and said, you have no dealings with the Nistores. So maybe we were, at some point in history, we might have been released from this uh, condition of Shua. Um, but uh, what, uh, what Rabbi Simon's proof is, we find that when B'nai Israel went into Yoshua, made a, in some ways Yeshua was actually criticized because he caused destruction, he caused trouble for B'nai Israel by making this condition. You're only crossing in if you accept responsibility for each other. Because when they crossed, when they conquered Yericho, Yeshua put a ban, sorry, that's why he was criticized, for putting a ban on Yericho, the property of Yericho. He said, no one's allowed to touch or take any of the spoils of Yericho. Achan came and stole some of it. They then went to battle in the next city, and Rubom Shel Sanhedrin, the exact discussion, who and how, died in that battle. It was a battle that they should have managed easily. It wasn't like anything, they didn't like it. it was a simple war, and they lost it. And they bring there. So he's saying, earlier on in the in the Mirbah, we find people sin. We find the person, Akoyesh Eitzim, the one who gathered wood, find the blasphemer, Badan, etc. We don't find any of them, Jews, being punished for what they did. All of a sudden, Achan steals from the from the spoils of the Yerichon, the whole of Bnei Israel suffered, they lose a war. So he says, yeah, this is because that's what happened. Yoshua accepted upon themselves responsibility for each other. The Nistoros, I don't know what you're going to get up to, I don't know what he's going to get up to, I don't know how it's going to play out, but I'm, all Jews are responsible for each other. I guess it's both, uh, it has its good points and its bad points, but also it's a big responsibility that you, what we get up to, I mean, if it's still binding on us, this thought of Arabus, but at least what a Jew in those times would get up to would affect the whole of B'nai Israel. Um, so that's an important uh, thing when they were crossing the Jordan. Okay, so we mentioned the spas. We'll come back to the spas, but now we're going to go back to right at the top of the page. We mentioned a Machrokes review that said the water went 12 mil high. And the other opinion, who was it, Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, said, no, it just piled up on top of each other. Pligi por Rabbi Ami, Rabbi Yitzhanafla, there's a machroikus between Rabbi Ami and Rabbi Yitzhanafla. Har Omar, the Divrei Rabbi Yudah, once said, according to Rabbi Yehuda, Kachanyoson Ovru, they crossed in the same formation that they camped in. Okay, not the normal way that they would travel, but on that, the Jordan they did. The Divrei Rebbe Lezeb, Rebbe Shimon, According to Rebbe Lezeb, Rebbe Shimon, they crossed one after the other. Well, I don't know if it's single file, but more in a line than in a square camp. Now what's the... And that's why... Remember, that's going back to, that's why Rabbi Yudha said it took them 12 mil to cross and it piled up 12 mil. And Rabbi Lazar Rabbi Shimon says, no, they crossed in a long line and that's why the water piled up till three, three, 300 mil high. And the other opinion says, no, they both crossed in the formation that they camped. The one opinion holds that man is faster and the other opinion holds that water is faster. What do you mean water is faster? Um, what do you mean man is faster? So firstly, as I pointed out, the measurements of how they calculate, we said like the way Rabbi Huda says they traveled is tied to the, the 12 mil of the camp and the water piled up 12 mil. And we have Rabbi Lotta, Rabbi Shimon, 
who said, um, no, the waters foster and carry. So, firstly, they know how fast water flows. So one thing I was thinking that bothers me is, how fast does the Jordan River flow? And maybe at different points it's wider or narrower, and it's going to flow at different speeds. You can also argue, I mean, this is the beginning of the speed. Water flows at the same speed, even this narrows down a bit. Oh, it's just going to be more water. No, no. Yeah. But it definitely also depends on the slope, doesn't it? Or not? It has to, because if you're going up, let's say, on the Jordan near the top, and you just bubble across, but when you get to the rapids, you Are there rapids in the Jordan? Yeah. Is a build-up speed. <coughs> I'm not sure. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not an expert. Okay, yeah. The water on top of a waterfall, is it flowing at the same speed as the water that is the bottom at of the, the bottom of the waterfall? Probably. Because it all goes, yeah, you're probably right. It travels at the same speed wherever. Uh, Otherwise it would pile up. Yeah. And it gets to the slow point. Yeah. Uh, unless it starts as okay, so yeah, so my assumption is not very good. <coughs> but either way, it normally flows, whereas the assumption is it normally flows faster than people. And therefore, even if it takes a person, he's walking 12 mil, he's got to get the length of the camp from the back of the camp to cross the Jordan. 12 mil, the water's still going to pile up much more than the 12 mil that the water that the people carry. So someone is saying, well, here it's flo- might be flowing uphill because it's got to pile up. Water flowing uphill in a miraculous fashion. Who says that it flows at the same speed as uh, as people walking? We don't know how miraculous water floats uh, flows. Um, I was also thinking. Uh, I would also imagine it's more metaphorical the exact numbers, and maybe that's got to do with Rabbi Yoshua's uh, making the condition. And look, you're standing in the in the Yardane. There's water 12 mil by 12 mil, exactly to cover the camp because you're one unit now. That's what I was thinking. But uh, but yeah, so there's a debate there exactly how the water flowed and how they uh, crossed the the Yardane. Now we're just going to touch. Well, once we mentioned the spas, they're going to go back and we're going to have a lengthy. Um, it's going to continue in tomorrow's daf um, about the spas. So shlach lochanoshim. Hashem said to Moshe, remember the Bnei Israel came to Moshe and they said, we want to check out the land. Dot, dot. And Hashem, Moshe said, I'll check with Hashem. And Hashem said, send for yourself men. Send with, it's your choice. I, I'm not telling you you must, but if you want to, you can. He's telling me that Moshe made a bad decision behind the deceive, but it's written, Um, oh, yeah, and it turns, sorry, it says, and this man, it seems to have made, and Moshe made a bad decision, to see, as it's written, Moshe says, it seemed to me like a good idea. I, what was the good idea? So many commentaries explain that he thought, you know what, they come, if I tell them, no, you're not allowed to spy out the land, they're going to be like, what, you're hiding from us. So he said, let me let them in, and they'll see how wondrous it is. That's what, we know the spies went in, um, as on the previous passage, um, we see that Moshe made, he said it was a good idea in my mind, but not in Hashem's mind. Um, now, as I said, the spars 
started out with bad intentions. So they're never going to see anything in a good light. And all the things, all the brochas, all the simanim that they could have seen as how wondrous Eretz Yisrael is, they twisted and saw as bad. But again, Moshe was hoping that, you know, if, if you ask me, uh, if you ask me something and I'd say, if you can do it, and I'd say no, you're going to be much more suspicious. They say, oh, I've got something to sell you, but I'm not showing it to you before I sell it to you. But I know it's exactly what you want to need. You're not going to trust me unless I'm prepared to show it to you. So Moshe wanted to, I was hoping that's, that he'll let them go into Eretz Yisrael to spy it out and they'll see how wonderful it is. It backfired, but that's what he thought. But again, Hashem, it wasn't Hashem telling them to. And we spied out the land. From the outset, the whole, the, the whole intent of the tribes was to shame, to degrade Eretz Yisrael. Um, it's written here, let us spy out the land. The moon was ashamed, hidden in shame, and the sun was embarrassed. And we see this word, not only has a connotation of, of uh, disgrace and shame and embarrassment. These are the names of the tribes, of the, of the spies for each tribe. Ruvain's was Shamur ben Zahur, Omar Rabbi Yitzchak, Jabur Zeh, Masoyrus, Biodeinu, Awaseinu, Meraglim, Alshem, Asayim, Nikra. Rabbi Yitzchak said, we have a tradition from our ancestors that the Meraglim's names lined up with their deeds. As we always know, we say, Shem, Moral, Etzem, your name alludes to your essence. Interestingly, I th- this I think is just I'm adding it in, but when you hear it, I don't think you'll find it too uh, creative. Um, we know that midos can go either way, and you have to channel your nature, your character, your resources to Hashem. But the same midah, the same quality can be used for good or for bad. You can be, let's say, you can be a person who's very insightful and reads people well. So you can use it to manipulate them, or you can use it to empathize and help them. The same qualities that a person has. You can be a generous person, and you can use uh, use it again in a way. Um, each, yeah, let's not go into now, but each middle we know can be used for the positive or negative. So your name goes to the core of your identity. But that can be directed either for good or for bad. What what essential nature, what essential characteristics, what's Yonashomer about, those resources can be directed for good or the bad. And that's why we spot a name always shows to the essence, but it's not dictating who you'll be. We don't say if you name your child and and that and, and that that's an important point because just about every name you come up with is a hero and is a villain yeah. and back going back in time with that name. Um, so how you, what name you're going to give you? So, so that's this idea. But this, but the name shows their essence, and it shows at their essence they were, if they if they went on that path, they were doomed to be the miraculous. They were going from for, from the outset at the essence was to speak badly and bring this bad report and stop the Jews going into Eretz Israel. So we have this tradition that their names show their essence and that their names highlight their deeds. And I own, we only know one of the names. I, we forgot the twelve droshes. We only remember the one. What's that? Sosu ben Michael. This was the from the tribe of Asher. The leader was Sosu ben Yisrael. Sosu she Sosu Masu shel Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Either he contradicted the actions or he denied the actions of Hashem. Many different ways of understanding it, but one is that. 
There's all these miracles, the mass in the, of the wonders of Hashem, and he's denying them and saying Hashem's not going to help us. Michael Shaas Atzvamach. He's saying that Mach Kel, Hashem is weak. Remember, one of the big questions was, look, they're giants, they're scary people, they're mighty warriors, they're huge fortresses. Is Hashem really going to be able to? Is Hashem strong enough to conquer this land? So that's the other explanation. Omer Biyochanan Af Anu Neymar. We have another one that we say. So I'm not sure if Rabbi Yochanan is saying it's a tradition or they worked it out. It sounds to me like he's saying we worked it out. But it says, this is from the tribe of the Naftali, Nachbi ben Bobsi. Nachbi He hid, he covered the words of Hashem. Hashem spoke about the goodness of the land and all the brachas of it. And everything that was good about the land, they twisted and explained in a negative light. Upasi, what Ovavsi? He trampled the qualities of Hashem. Again, this is they doubted Hashem's ability to inherit the land. Okay, carrying on with the story of the spies. They went up from the south and they came to Hebron, or the Negev, through the Negev desert. It shouldn't have said, and he came to Hebron. It should have said, and they came to Hebron. So on my rover, rover says, Malame Chipirish, you'll know a lot of these drushes from Rashi or Kumash. But this is the source. On my rover, Malame Chipirish, call him Atzmo, my Atzas, Verogim, Baholach, Manishtater, Al Kivra Avos. This teaches that the Chalev separated himself from the Eitzah of the Miraglim, and he spread and he went and he bowed before the graves of the forefathers. Omar Lehem Abbasai Bikshu Allah Rachamim and he asked he said to his ancestors Daven on my behalf for mercy that I should be saved from the plots of the Miraglim. Then just I'll come back to him davening at a grave because remember we discussed this yesterday. But he says Yoshua Kfar Bikesh Moshe Allah Rachamim Yoshua Moshe already daven for Shneimar as it says but Yikram Moshe Yoshua Benun but Moshe um Called out, sorry, Moshe called Yeshua, Benun Yehoshua. I'm sorry, call Yeshua, Yeshua, Me'atas Miraglim, that Hashem should protect you from the advice of the Miraglim. So Yeshua had his protection from Moshe davening, and Kalev got his protection by davening, asking the Havos to intercede on his behalf. Now that's very difficult in light of what we discussed yesterday. Are you allowed? We, we touched on it from asking angels to daven. And I mentioned in yesterday's shoe, what about at a grave? And here it specifically seems that your shoe, that Kalev went and daven. And not only that, a very difficult line. He says, Big shoe on my rachman. He said to them, daven on my behalf. He's almost asking the others to daven for him. So the Mishnah, one of the places this is discussed in Halacha, like what you do and how you approach a grave, is by Erev Yom Kippur, or Erev, sorry, Erev Rosh Hashanah, people had the practice to go to the cemeteries and daven there. Um, not, not the Shachris, but go and plead and beseech Hashem um, on Erev Rosh Hashanah. I think simply the advantage is... Because in a sense, people often, it reminds them of where people are going, and it's not about this world. Everyone ends up in the dust. They start and they end up in the dust. Something. But the but the Mishnah Brewer says here the Beisak Moros. Why is it why is it special to daven in a cemetery? What's special about it? This is the Beisak Moros. Sadikim. It's a place where Sadikim rest. And Tefillah is is likely to be answered there. And I think that's why because again the Shkina rests where Sadikim rests. So the Sadikim are resting there. So now it's a holy place. Ah, al yosim gamton neger amaisim. 
Don't focus to the Mason. You should dive into Hashem that he should have Rachamim. offer in the merit of the Tzadikim. You should go around the graves and you should give Tzadokah before you dive in. And then he just interestingly says, you shouldn't. Uh, so he seems to say you should dive in at different places in the cemetery. And then he also says, and you shouldn't visit the same grave twice in one day. I've heard that, but I don't know the reason behind that. I just Mr. Brewer brings it, and it's quite interesting. But back to where we were. So that's the simple way, but it's just difficult with the language here. And as you say, when he asked them to intercede on his behalf, he's davening in the schus of the Amos. That's what Caleb's doing. That should be the simplest answer. Okay, but as I said, it's a big discussion. Um, davening, I guess, davening in the merit. Now, with Yoshua, there's another question they ask, and you can even touch on it with Caleb. Don't you have free choice? How does it help for Moshe to go and daven that Yoshua is saved from the Raglim? And I think, obviously, every tefillah helps. And an important concept to realize is we daven to Hashem to help us with our challenges against the Eight Sahara. It's not going to be enough, but important to realize that we actually need Hashem's help. But here's where, here's a big discussion of doesn't it take away free will if you're going to, either Moshe's going to double on Yeshua's behalf, so what now, you're going to tell me Moshe's is not going to be answered and Yeshua's going to sin, but then, so what, Moshe's is not going to answer, but if Yeshua can't sin, then he doesn't have free will, and you can even answer that on Kalev, if you go down in his hours, how isn't that taking away his free will to sin? But essential to realize it before you get into um, Obviously, you have to go through the logic and the system and understanding it, but very important to realize is that we must dive in with to Hashem to help us face our challenges. Very often, we can't face them ourselves, and Hashem can help us. Okay. Um, oh, I left out a positive. By Kalev, there was a different uh, spirit on him. He had gone to Daven and... Uh, he had gone to Daven, etc. Very interestingly, um, um, that's why Kalev, this Pasuk, um, the, the, the full Pasuk is Kalev, however, Kalev had a different Ruach. I'll bring him to the land which he came and his descendants will inherit it. We see in Kalev was given Hebron. The land which is, so, so the land he went to was the land that his descendants were given. That was the area Kalev was given in Eretz Israel. So this is a good proof that Kalev went to Daven in Hebron. Back to the story of the Meraglim. The shame, Achimon, But Hebron were the giants. Achimon, and their father, the four giants. And that's why Hebron is called Kiryat Arbe. Arbe, because of the four giants. That's one of the explanations given there very clearly. It says, Achiman, what's his name, Achiman? He was the most distinguished, maybe powerful amongst his brothers. He made the land full of potholes. Wherever he walked, he just, his feet were so, he was so huge and heavy that his feet just made, left potholes in his wake. I think as he dragged his feet along, he left furrows in the ground. So these were the size of the giants. And they each built these cities. The descendants of giants. In through their heart, the sun looked like a necklace around them. I, 
if you looked, when you're trying to look up in the sun, the sun would be there, a small circle, and it would look like a jewel hanging from around their neck. That's how huge they were. Carry on. And we say that Chevron was built seven years. The continuation of the Pasuk is... Um, it's, it's the same possible. He came at Hebron again. We asked, shouldn't it be? And they came to Hebron. And we explained the significance of the giant's name. And Hebron was built seven years before Tzuan in the city of Tzuan in Mitzrayim. says, my Nibnesol, what do you mean by it was built? If you want to say literally it was built seven years before so on says is a person going to build his house before um, a house for his younger son before his older son the sons of Ham were Kush and Mitzrayim Upot who was the older son Mitzrayim well Mitzrayim was the Second son, and Canaan was the fourth son. So why would he build Hebron before he built Tzoan? It doesn't make sense. So Ela Shehoiso Mavune Al Echod Nisheva B'Tzoan. Rather, it means it was seven times more fertile, fertile than Tzoan. It says We don't have a more rocky plot of land than Hebron. Says the Kivrei Bosch Chivi, and that's why it was the, used as a cemetery. It wasn't good for farming. That's why the cemetery is in Hebron. Says and there's no greater land in the whole world than Mitzrayim. Shenemar, as the pasuk says, Kegan Hashem, Eretz Mitzrayim, like the Garden of Hashem, like Eretz Mitzrayim. Yes, Mitzrayim, and Sion is the most amazing place in Mitzrayim. You see, as it's written, Ki Hoyu Betzoan Sorov, in in the, the, the princes stayed in Tzad. And nevertheless, Hebron was still so much more impressive than Tzad. Was Hebron really very rocky, very stony? Um, at the end of 40 years, Avshalom said to the king, I want to go to Hebron, etc., to offer up sacrifices. Why would he go to Hebron to offer sacrifices? What's the advantage of Hebron over any other place in Eretz Israel for Avshalom to go offer sacrifices? I was buried there, but shouldn't you rather go to the Mishkan maybe? Where the Aaron of Hashem is, or where the Mizbeach is. I heard that's a problem today. That people are running all over to, to different places where they could be doubling in Yerushalayim, right by the Kotel. Okay, I mean, you can discuss the Kedusha yeah, yeah, of the yeah. Kotel and stuff now. But either way, why was he going to Hebron? Because he wanted to bring lambs from there. The most, the best animals were from Hebron. And so he says, I want to bring a good Korban, I'm going to go to Hebron. I think all the reasons you gave are right, but this is the one drosha on it. So we see that it's the land where the best flock from, because that's where the best grazing land is. I think part of the reason seems to be that because they wouldn't farm there, it was just regular good grass that grew there as opposed to grains and stuff. So it was great grazing land. So he says, Yeah, me no I did the Klisha Ara Abdurai Sorry, that's how the Gomorrah explains it. From that 
because it was poor land, they used it specifically for grazing and the animals were able to grow very nicely and uh, fat or lean from it. And that's what was... So, so even Klimron, which was very stony, is very fertile and very special. This is how special Eretz Israel is compared to Mitzrayim. Okay, and we'll leave it there. But today we'll continue with the story of the spas tomorrow.